Welcome to episode five of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS.io. And I'm here today with Rob Finch, our founder and CEO. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of Everything EOST. Uh, we've had a blast recording these podcasts and really sharing them with all of you, the greater EOS community, a lot of people who hadn't even heard of EOS before uh, they listened to our show. So that's awesome. Uh, this whole thing started because if you can't tell, uh, Zach Gall and I are both really into EOS. Um, we're having a lot of these discussions privately, and we thought it'd be a great idea to record them, share them with the world, and help grow the EOS community. So here we are back for another episode. We really appreciate the feedback and comments we get about this show. Each one, we've been getting a little bit of feedback on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on the Telegram channels. We appreciate everyone's thoughts and opinions. They help us grow and improve the show. Uh, please let us know if you enjoyed the show by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. On today's podcast, we'll be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOSIO, including some major players announcing themselves as block producer candidates and a crypto fund that's not associated with Block One's venture capital arm, announcing their own independent commitment of $100 million of funding to grow and support EOS-based projects. So. Before we get started, one thing we do have to sort of disclaim and disclose here is that, of course, Zach Gall and I both do own EOS tokens. However, none of this podcast should be construed as financial, legal, tax, or any other kind of advice. We're simply discussing our own opinions, and our opinions do not reflect the views of ICO Alert, our company. All right, so let's kick this off with the latest news around EOS, Rob. Um, Kraken uh, made an announcement the other day. They announced that they're going to be supporting the token swap uh, happening on June 2nd when the EOS IO uh, mainnet launches. I think they're the, what, third exchange to do it now? Was I think it? third major exchange, third definitely. Major I'm not sure if there are other little ones that have already announced their support, but if you're not sure what we're talking about with this token swap, right now, the EOS token is an ERC-20, it's a placeholder token on Ethereum. Um, and when the actual EOS network launches in June, around June 3rd, um, you're going to take your ERC-20 tokens, and they're going to automatically convert into EOS tokens on that chain and maybe other chains that are also launched. Um, so if you're not sure what that means, if you're not sure what to do, the best bet is probably to leave it on one of these exchanges. Kraken uh, just announced their support recently, and then Bitfinex and Binance, of course, have already announced their support to, to bring people through this swap. Yeah, like Rob said, if, if you don't know what the token swap is or you're kind of new, new to this stuff, the best thing to do is just keep it on an exchange. For the longest time, people were confused about what was going to happen whenever uh, the EOS token moved from a Ethereum to its mainnet, um, and there there were some issues with registering a wallet, having the private keys, which most of you guys should have anyway. But if you don't, uh, just keep it on Binance, Bitfinex, or Kraken, and yeah. you'll, you'll be taken care of. Yeah, and I never you know endorse anybody keeping any money on exchanges because I'm totally paranoid <laughs> after what happened with Mt. Gox, where and, and many other exchanges where they get hacked or lost. But if you really have no idea what you're doing when it comes to the swap, you are better off keeping it on an exchange. Yeah, and I, I think uh, really the only disadvantage to the exchange is what would happen if. Uh, the, so, so the community is launching EOS. Block One, the company who's building EOS, is not launching the mainnet blockchain, even right. though uh, they are the ones running the official testnet right now, but they're leaving it to the community to launch it. And, and there's been talk that there might be multiple uh, chains that launch yeah. on, on the day of launch. So uh, by leaving it on the exchange, you're going to definitely get the, the swap for the main EOS token or whatever one the community decides is the main one, but there might be much smaller blockchains that, that aren't really dubbed as the official ones, but that just might end up 
continuing and doing their own thing. Uh, no one really knows right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a crazy launch. I mean, no, there there has not been a blockchain launch or even a network launch, I think, to this scale ever. No. I mean, the, the amount of people that are involved in this is absolutely insane. So it's going to be a very, very interesting June yeah, to see what speaking happens. Speaking of exchanges, um, so there's been some major news uh, around some recent block producer candidates. Yeah. Um, a lot of big names announcing that they want to be candidates to become block producers. And for those who are unaware, a block producer on a delegated proof-of-stake network, uh, they produce the blocks, obviously, but they do the work of what a miner would do on uh, um, proof-of-work like Ethereum or Bitcoin. Um, it's a much different way, but to think of it like that, they're the, they're the ones running the network, essentially, exactly. running the data centers. And the main difference really is that with a Bitcoin miner, anybody can set up a miner, they can kind of do what they want, and then all of the control now with Bitcoin and, and Ethereum as well rests in the hands of a few, maybe three to five pool operators who are operating all these giant mining pools. But with EOS and with the delegated proof of stake system that they have, um, all of the token holders, including you, if you own any EOS, are going to be able to vote for these block producers and say, hey, I want Bitfinex to be one of the you know 121 block producers, or I want this person to be one of the 121 block producers. So it's pretty cool to, to see that control go back to the community. And there, there's going to be 121 block producers? Yeah, so there's a lot of confusion over the number. So some people say, oh, it's 21. Some people say it's 30. Some people say 121. The actual number of total block producers is 121. But the way it's broken up is that the top 20 by the number of votes, so the top 20 block producers that get the most votes out of everybody will always produce blocks every single round. They kind of always have a ticket to the show. Um, and then the other 101 standby producers are competing for that 21st slot. So the more tokens you have as one of the 101 standby people, or the more votes you have, rather, the higher likelihood it is that you'll be randomly selected for that round as the 21st slot. So number 25, for example, is going to be pulled into that 21st slot much more frequently than number 101. Uh, but there are 121 block producers in total that will at some point all produce blocks. So I, I've read a few things about what the they're called. Are they called standby block yeah. producers? So you have your active, which are the top twenty, and then plus one, which is one additional active chosen from the hundred hundred and uh, one standby block producers. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my own head around uh, what their role is going to be because so financially you have to incentivize them. They have to ha at least make enough funding to keep their data center up and running all the right. time because they're constantly on standby and they want to obviously produce that randomized 21st block producer spot uh, when they can, but what other rules will they have on the network? And uh, I don't know if it was a week ago or so, but Dan mentioned something that uh, about the storage aspect of the network, that the standby BPs might be responsible for handling all, all of the data storage. Oh, interesting. About that? Now, I hadn't heard that. I know that the, the storage component, which is based on IPFS, the Interplanetary File System Protocol, um, it's not going to be out until the end of this year. So then you can run an EOS DAP and have all of the storage, all of that sort of built into that same core product. Um, I haven't heard that the standby could, could potentially be the, the storage. I mean, they're still they're figuring out the details there. So Yeah, I, that, that's about all I know is just because I, I uh, have the Dan Telegram channel where it just uh, filters all of Dan's messages from all the EOS groups mm -hmm. into its own chat. And I didn't really understand huh. the context of it, really. And I, I haven't dug deeper. But I, I think that they're going to play a role in the system, even if they're not producing blocks. I mean, other types of blockchains have like witnesses and different things like right. that. So 
they're mostly potentially helping make sure that the other block producers are all following the rules. That's a, that's effectively what you know standby block producers doing. They're they're keeping their infrastructure up and ready so that if one of the top twenty drops out, they can hop in um, or be randomly selected for that twenty first slot. And, and what that does is it, it completely decentralizes the network. So it, it, there's no head of the snake that could be cut off. Uh, even if even if one of the top twenty, even if number one block producer with the most votes starts being corrupt and gets kicked off the network, the, the network's fine. Exactly. Uh, an atomic bomb could land on any given country and the the network will still be alive. Uh, all 121 block producers are going to be geographically diverse. Um, there's been talk in the governance channels of possibly limiting uh, the continent or the country of a certain percentage of the BPs. So that, that'll be real interesting as more information comes out. Um, but I think what got us into this block producer conversation are... Uh, some major, major names in the crypto space announcing themselves as block producing candidates. Uh, so the first one to do, I think, was Huobi. Yeah. So Huobi or Huobi Pro came out and basically said that you know through the translation they're running for what they call an EOS supernode or an EOS mm-hmm. block producer. Um, so they came out. They said, you know, hey, we're also going to have um, you know in addition to this block producer run under Huobi, we're going to also have an incubator fund for EOS projects. So it's cool to see um, a lot of these block producer candidates come out and, and have those you know same kind of incubators to to try to further the network instead of just making money from it. So I didn't catch it, but uh, apparently Huobi has had uh, EOS, uh, some sort of live stream party where, where they made all these announcements. And they actually announced that they're going to um, be hosting EOS developer meetings, collaborate with a company called DoraHacks. Oh, wow. Um, and they're starting their own eco fund uh, that's going to incubate EOS projects and provide comprehensive support, including funding on resources, technology, and operation. That seems to be a common theme among huh. a lot of the BP candidates is not only are, are they going to support the ecosystem with their data center, their obvious like hardware support uh, by running the nodes, but they're going to benefit the community in other ways. Because at, at the end of the day, this is a political campaign at this point. Every block producer is a politician campaigning for your vote as a token holder to vote for them to hopefully be one of those top 20 spots, but if nothing, if for the smaller ones to be one of the top 121 so that they could uh, play a part in the network. So to earn these votes, they're, they're campaigning different things that they bring to the table, diff- different strengths that they have. And we've been seeing this a lot, but they, they've all been offering different types of incubation and, and, and funding of projects. And th- that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the, the number of decentralized apps or dapps that are going to exist a year from now oh with God. all the money from Block One and their VC partners and now, you know, OK Blockchain Capital and all these block producers, they're going to be, I mean, thousands and thousands of dapps that have launched on ES. It's going to be insane. Another big one, Bitmain's Antpool. Yeah. I think that so one this, might have even been before Huobi. I'm not sure. Maybe. I, I know that Bitmain, though, was the most controversial. So Bitmain is, is you know, the guy behind it is Jihan Wu, who is probably most infamous for His creating <laughs> Bitcoin Cash to continue to um, further an exploit in the Bitcoin mining software that basically made him more money with his proprietary patented miners. So he is kind of a bad name in the crypto space, and I think rightfully so. Um, but Antpool, you know, that, that giant Bitcoin mining pool that that Jihan Wu from Bitmain runs um, is actually going to be vying for a block producer spot. So it's pretty interesting. Was I forget, like, there's a few weeks ago whenever we saw uh, someone was contributing a crap load of Ether to the crowd sale. Was oh, that yeah. Pool? No, that was F2 pool. Yeah, F2 pool was another Ethereum pool that, although they haven't announced no, their intention haven't. to run, it may just be that they had some money and they wanted to put it into EOS mm-hmm. and not even intending to, to be a block producer, but they could also come out next week and say, hey, 
we want to do this. It, it seems like all the major players on the other networks, I mean, they have experience run, running all the mining equipment, which is different on, on delegated proof of stake, but th they have the experience of running a, a, a lot of servers, a oh, yeah. lot of capacity here. They, they have the technical ability, they have the funding to do it. And it's also good because they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. So that, that that's a positive too, is they're diversifying uh, what they're providing to multiple blockchain networks. Right. So let, let, let's say EOS just doesn't work out and it falls apart. They still are mining Bitcoin. They're still mining Ethereum. They're, they're still doing everything else that they do. Yeah, I mean, it's good from like their business perspective. From their business, yeah. yeah. I mean, technically, you're, you're absolutely right. They're definitely the people who are probably most equipped them and these other exchanges to actually run block producers. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if the community wants to vote them in, considering their past, considering, mm -hmm. you know, exchanges already have so much power. I saw a lot of threads on the EOS subreddit um, um, talking about don't vote for you know all these exchanges they're just going to have too much power and be these overlords of the whole network so i, I think, think a lot of people are going to pass it's good and bad yeah absolutely uh, it, it kind of uh i mean it legitimizes the space exactly. completely that's what i was just gonna say uh eos new york actually put out a tweet uh not too long after all these uh exchanges seem to announce one after another within like a week or two and they agree it legitimizes they said quote it legitimizes the power of the software to the rest of the world and they welcome Huobi Pro and Bitfinex, who we'll talk about in a minute, as we work towards solutions which secure life, liberty, and property. Nice. Yeah, and the, the most recent one uh, to announce, which got a lot of press, was Bitfinex. So, yes, mm -hmm. the Bitfinex is uh, launching their campaign to be an EOS block producer. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it because... Bitfinex takes a lot of slack from, from the community because of all, all of the Tether stuff and their affiliation with Tether. Right. And not, not only are, are they announcing themselves to be block producers, but months ago, I think in February, March, they've already announced uh, the launch of EOS Finex, which is a decentralized exchange built on EOS, uh, and it'll be on the blockchain, completely open source, most likely. And I think that's going to help the ecosystem a lot because it's going to allow other developers to use their libraries to maybe build their own spinoffs of it. Or if people just use EOS Phoenix because they're following the Bitfinex brand, they're one of the largest exchanges in the world. And as far as their software and their order books, uh, like their order book matching tools that they use and their charts, they're one, they're one of the best exchanges oh, absolutely. I personally use. Same. I mean, that's why so many traders you see like refuse to use any exchange other than Bitfinex because the interface is so good. Because mm -hmm. if you go to another exchange and you try to place an order when you really need to place an order and it doesn't go through, you're not going to use that exchange anymore. Yeah, and so, Bitfinex seems to do a really good so job. So they're taking that experience and running a large exchange, and they're taking that experience to, to build a decentralized exchange on EOS. And while doing so, they are hoping to get everyone's votes to produce blocks. So and, and it makes sense too because every large exchange, a centralized exchange as as they currently stand, they're all running nodes for every blockchain anyway. They're yep. running uh, their own private version because they handle so many transactions that they don't have time to wait for all the blocks to confirm. Well, and more more than anything, they need to verify on their own node for sure that a transaction happened, so that somebody's not like, for example, if I owned Etherscan, which is you know a popular block explorer for Ethereum, I could make Etherscan look as if a transaction confirmed, but on the actual blockchain, maybe it didn't. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, I think, trying to avoid malicious actors by being one of the block producers, being one of the nodes, so that they can go in and say, oh, we know for a fact this transaction happened. It's a legitimate deposit to the exchange, not somebody trying to scam us. So. And, it, and it makes sense that um, 
these exchanges want to be block producers because one, they probably already have the equipment to, to, to run the data center. Yeah. But the other thing is decentralized exchanges, I believe, are the future oh, absolutely. of the crypto economy. Uh, regulation being a big reason behind it because you, you can't, it, it's harder to shut down a decentralized entity. Um, but the other thing is that there's so many other people doing it and most of them are on the Ethereum network. And we all know the issue with Ethereum is scalability and transaction fees. Yeah. So if you actually want to run a good decentralized network, you can't have transaction fees and everything has to be lightning fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine if you're if you're a trader and you're trying to place a trade, which I've tried to do on all these different decentralized exchanges built on Ethereum from IDEX to Fork Delta to Ether Delta before it was Fork Delta to Radar Relay. They suck. I mean, mm-hmm. IDEX is, is probably the best because you can continue, you can click like 30 times and, and place like... 30 buy orders or 30 sell orders on the book, but it still takes a while and you're still paying that transaction fee for every single one of those. I, I've, I've never used IDEX. My, my decentralized exchange experience stops, starts and stops at Ether Delta. So bad. And I haven't one used, of the worst. Yeah, I, have, I haven't <laughs> used it in a while. So do the other decentralized exchanges offer order book matching? Or do you have to actually choose an order? And so that's the the closest I've ever seen is IDEX, where you can do a market sell on the decentralized exchange, but then for every order or every order grouping in the book, you have to click a button and sign a transaction Ugh. from MetaMask for every single one. It happens like I think it's almost batching them or something. Yeah. But yeah, it's horrible. It's a little it's horrible more experience. convenience than Ether Delta. Ether Delta. Right. Oh my god. Ether Delta is bad because people don't think it's a decentralized exchange. I think because you have to deposit into it. Like you're only depositing into a smart contract that you technically have control over, but the fact that those coins are leaving your wallet and decentralized exchanges are are pitched as, "Oh, keep the coins in your wallet and trade." Mm-hmm. The fact that they're going somewhere else freaks people out. So, yeah. I'm I'm so excited for EOS Finex. That's probably the the quote-unquote decentralized app that I'm most excited for, other than maybe Everpedia. Mm-hmm. Didn't they announce, what was it, uh, their Ethereum decentralized exchange that they're working on also? Yeah, Ethfinex has been out for a while, actually. And it, I haven't used it. Is it good? Uh, I haven't tried that. That's a good point. I should I should hop on Ethfinex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I'm sure if they have any strong points on that, that those features are probably going to carry over to EOS Finex also. Definitely. But, but hopefully be better and faster. Yeah, you, you can get kind of an insight into their revenue. They said they made, because they give away half of their profit every month on Ethfinex to the Ethfinex token holders for whatever, Nectar, I think is the name of their token. And they gave away a million and a half dollars last month, so they made about three million in fees. So it's it's dramatically less than they do on Bitfinex, of course. Um, and it'll probably be the same case for EOS, EOS Finex out, out of the gate, but... Yeah, I mean, with with all of these uh, BP candidates, um, they all make their official post. They all do it on Steemit for the most part because it's on blockchain and they can't change what they said in the yep. future to take back anything that they may have misspoke about. And one of the big things they all, they all tell tell you about is their community benefit. And ES Finex is number one on Bitfinex's list of things that they're offering. But they also mentioned uh, something called Sunbeam, which is an experimental oh, Node.js yeah. library. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I don't know much <laughs> about it. I, I said, oh, yeah, because I remembered seeing it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm reading post. the post now, and it says it allows for interaction with standard and custom EOS exchange contracts. Uh, through offering a basic order book and buy-sell functionality, it acts as the foundational library required for decentralized exchange on ES. That's kind of what I was just talking about. I must have uh, had that in my head whenever Probably, I said yeah. that the open source software will allow other people to also build decentralized yeah. exchanges who aren't Bitfinex. It's interesting, though. They say in the post, the first release for Sunbeam for that library is scheduled for mid-May. So that's coming up here in like two weeks. We could see that release. I haven't. Wow. 
I haven't read anything about that. And I'm also not sure, do you know when EOS Finex launches? Are they launching day one when EOS launches, or is it going to be shortly after? Because um, it would make sense with a mid-May release of Sunbeam to have EOS Finex launch day one in June. I would love to see it on one of the test nets. Yeah. And then be able to play around with it. Because we all, we all as token holders and, and investors in the EOS community, we all read about the testnet. I haven't launched a testnet myself. I have no reason to. I, I believe what I read about it, that it's fast, it's working good. But for me to have EOS become tangible, I want to touch and feel it. And to do that, you need a front-end UI. And I would love to see a, a, a dApp on, on the testnet like ES Phoenix. That'd be really cool. Hmm. I bet they have their own local testnet somewhere running this thing. Uh, they have to be testing this. Just talking about this, man. How many days away are we? I don't even know. I think we're yes less than 40. Yeah, How many you, days? By the time this publishes, it might be a day or two less. Uh, is it .com or .io? 37 days, 2 hours, and 32 minutes. So the, by, by the time wow. you hear this, might be 36 days. Yeah, and if you guys want to see the live countdown and, and some other cool stats, go to eoscountdown.com. It's not our website. It's a community website. Um, but they got some good info there. And, of course, you can see when this thing is going to launch. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap up on the Bitfinex stuff, but they're men they mentioned they're going to do hackathons and developer meetups. And that's in addition to the global hackathon we mentioned last week or the week before yeah. that Block One's actually sponsoring. So, so right now, as far as the hackathons, Block One is doing the official one right. where they're actually going to four different cities and then a fifth city for the finals. Right. And they're flying teams in, they're sponsoring teams, and they're just going to hack away oh, and yeah. build dApps. Well, and Dan is one of the judges. Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of Block One, is one of the judges. They have the Ian Grigg, who's one of the tech guys at Block, like it's they're pretty. Yeah. Like, can you imagine getting judged by Dan when you're in a hackathon? Oh God, like, I'm that's so, so crazy. <laughs> but it's 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 awesome that these people have the opportunity to do that, and then whoever wins is going to get funded by the VC most likely. And could you imagine if they had a hackathon for the iTunes Store and uh, Steve Jobs was a judge? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great comparison. That's a great comparison. So there's that one, and, and we talked about this in another episode. But after that was announced, uh, a lot of block producers and other people in the ES community. They, they decided to pull together some funds and they're going to uh, do a remote global hackathon also where yeah. the hackathon is going to take place with the remote teams around the globe uh, to build decentralized apps and they'll have different prizes. Uh, so the fact that Bitfenix is also going to be doing hackathon and developer meetups, like this is how you build a development community. Ha hackathons are nothing new to developers uh, or blockchain in general. I I've done hackathons before for like more traditional programming stuff. Hmm. Uh, usually they get about a, at the one I was at, there's like a hundred developers. They all had different skill sets. Some were project managers, some were different languages that they could program. And then there was a, a group of nonprofits and there was maybe 15 nonprofits that all pitched their idea of what they needed built to run their businesses better. Oh, wow. And then the 100 developers or however many developers were there broke up into about five teams yeah. and then picked the top five nonprofits that they wanted to work with. And the other two, I guess, didn't <laughs> get anything. And then <laughs> the winner of that contest got funded to actually be paid to actually finalize and build out that application, but it was much simpler stuff. We're talking like simple web applications yeah. like, or maybe even a website and more, maybe a little more advanced than a website, but that type of stuff. But this is normal. And th this is how you help each other. It's growing a community. 
So I, I could see these hackathons working in the same way. A bunch of businesses come and explain their business problems, and then the hackathon tries to solve them. The, the very smart developer community. Athlete. That's cool. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a use case or rather a, uh, a hackathon structure that I hadn't thought of. Like you bring somebody in and say, hey, here's our problem, and then a bunch of teams that, that's try That's how to, a lot of them actually work. That's awesome. They I didn't know that. pitch something because huh. you have to know what you're supposed to build. Right. If, well, if, I, thought, I thought with hackathons, like with Ethereum hackathons, they were like, hey, just build something. Or is that not the case? That, that might be. I mean, a hackathon could look many different ways. Mm. It could have many different rules. I mean, the basic, the core component to it that doesn't really change is that they try to build a lot of stuff in a short period of time. Right. So usually they, they uh, go over the course of a weekend and they break up into teams and they just work nonstop, like long days. Yeah, and making, some of them, like the weekend ones, they don't even sleep. They're just awake for 48 hours. Yeah, like, and a lot of coding. times they come out with just like an MVP or a minimally viable product. They don't actually have a working product, but they have something that you you could see, touch, feel, and it, it it's much further along than it, it would take weeks of development in a regular environment to get accomplished what you usually see in a hackathon. Right. So that's going to be cool. Um, with the or with the Bitfinex, they're also going to be offering education. It says we'll be conducting a series of online and offline workshops to facilitate the adoption of ESIO technology. Um, and I've seen this elsewhere too: is the educational piece. So, with with more mainstream development languages like Ruby on Rails or JavaScript, you, you could do a simple Google search and find dozens of websites with video tutorials and how tos. And I, I think that's part of where this is headed also is not just the block producers, but the EOS community as a whole is going to start pushing out more of this documentation because I, I think there's some now. We have we have an employee here named Pete. He does our localization and translations. And he, he's looked through some of the documentation. And he's, he says it's still a little bit rough, um, but I, I think... I read in one of the Telegram channels, I can't remember who said it, maybe Ian Gregg or someone said that that's like one of their core focuses is coming up with like really good documentation. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely crucial. Like we were talking, Gal and I, before the, the podcast about, you know, if you want to learn HTML, which is like a basic programming language to build a website, HTML and CSS, you can go online and find literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different YouTube videos on that topic. Just mm -hmm. on YouTube, you can find all this, these resources. And then we did the same with Solidity and it was about maybe a dozen videos that came up and Solidity is the programming language on Ethereum. Um, but the, the one good thing about EOS, or one of the good things, not just the one good thing, um, is that because it all compiles down to C++, you can pretty much code in any language you already know um, and then just kind of port it over to EOS. So if you can build a web app, you can already build a decentralized app, which is, is going to be pretty powerful. So a lot of those tutorials already do exist, but we definitely need more of you know documentation of how do you turn it into a dApp, how do you launch it, how do you get tokens to sustain your dApp, all that stuff. So when was the last time have you heard of the Bitcoin mining community putting out tutorials and documentation <laughs> about building dApps on Bitcoin, huh? Never. On, Never. On Ethereum? I, I don't know who, who's come out with the Solidity tutorials, but it's probably a lot of volunteers. Yeah. Uh, even with EOS, it's going to be a lot of volunteers outside of these BPs we're talking about. But just imagine what you could accomplish with, with proper funding. Think, yeah, I you mean, you could pay a salary to someone who's been building curriculums of other programming languages and, and like Rails or JavaScript or whatever. Pay that person a salary and just make them full time. Like your job as part of our block producing team or as part of a block one grant is to create really, really good 
educational pieces. Yeah. I mean, think about why though. I think it's interesting. Like think about why Bitcoin miners and Ethereum miners don't put out that content. It's, I think basically just because the incentives are not aligned. Not at all. There's no incentive for a Bitcoin miner who doesn't answer to the token holders, doesn't answer the community, cannot be voted out. There's no incentive for them to try to do good things to the network to stay voted in. Whereas with EOS, all the incentives are aligned where even somebody like Bitfinex, who has this massive crypto presence, is going to have to work for those votes and is going to have to you know contribute to the ecosystem and release open source code and all this stuff to keep one of those spots, which I think is pretty awesome. Another another cool thing that's been coming out, Bitfinex announced that they're going to be doing it. I We had an ICO come through called uh, I- Iconic Labs, I believe. Yeah. Uh, they're partially funded by FinLab, I believe. Uh, incubators and accelerators. Like that, yeah. that's something you, you don't hear about Ethereum accelerators and incubators. Like we're, we're talking a business that takes early stage startups, sometimes in the seed like level, and they help them turn it into an actual company or a project. So, so they they allocate resources to teach you all the basics for the regulation, the legal, the the technical aspects. And it's kind of like pouring gasoline on a project to help it grow quicker and flourish. Yeah, and if any of you listening have seen uh, Silicon Valley, the TV show, basically what what Ehrlich runs in his house is an, an incubator. You know, he brings in a couple different teams, or I guess in the case of the show, one team, and they, you know, he gives them food and rent and maybe some money in exchange for you know a small percent of the company, and then he kind of coaches them through building their whole company. So it'd obviously be much more legitimate than somebody like Ehrlich on Silicon Valley. But imagine going into say OK Blockchain Capital and you go into their incubator and you know, they put you down with their legal team and all their different um, developers, and they really just help you build your decentralized app. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I've heard it before. Is like there's people in the traditional web development community who m- may be thinking about getting into blockchain development, but they don't know where to begin. And these accelerators are, and and incubators are, are going to be an easy way to transition into that. Yeah, because it, it's not that different than what they were probably already doing. They just kind of need guidance and assistance. And that's what these will provide. And they'll provide plenty of jobs, I'm sure. Yeah, and if you're out there now and you're itching to get started, if you're like, you know, look, I want to build apps, decentralized apps on EOS, I would say go learn WebAssembly. Learn how that that language works, Mm -hmm. learn how it compiles, learn how to build cool little web apps on it, because effectively that's what you're going to be doing, and then you're just launching it on EOS, which doesn't require much from you. Um, The network will kind of take care of the the decentralized part. Um, So go learn WebAssembly, maybe learn some C++, and maybe you'll be building the next most popular app. Yeah, so I guess outside of the... um Incubators. There, there was another fund we, we left out. Um, OK Blockchain Capital. Yeah. So, do you know? Do you want to talk about them? Yeah. So OK Blockchain Capital. First, it's not just Blockchain Capital, which is associated with Brock Pierce. This is OK Blockchain Capital. Um, it's owned by OK Group, which is which manages and owns OKX and OKCoin.com, which are two um, pretty prominent Asian exchanges. Um, and they came out. Um, Wait, are they campaigning for Neo Supernode? So yeah, so really, yeah. So I, I didn't realize that at first because all of the headlines just said what we're about to tell you is they announced that they're going to commit a hundred million dollars to grow and support EOS community and development. Right. So pretty much the same thing Block Dot One has been doing with all of their VC venture partners are where, where they're dedicating hundred million dollars or four hundred some million dollars to Galaxy Digital. 
Um, we don't know the percentages of what block one is contributing to that fund compared to the fund itself. I, I think right. Brendan Bloomer, the CEO, gave like a range, but it's like 50 to 75%, maybe 25 to 75%, somewhere around there. But that's coming from the ICO funds from the EOS crowd sale. Whereas this one's different because this one's getting, as far as we know, no money from block one. It's yeah. $100 million of their own funds dedicated strictly to growing and expanding the EOS community and DAP community. Yeah, it's so crazy to hear. I mean, obviously these exchanges are kind of printing money, but a $100 million commitment on your own aside from Block One is a mass. I mean, that's a huge financial commitment. And it's just crazy to see all these major crypto players come out and sort of jump on EOS. Is I don't I don't think we've ever seen this happen before with any no. other project other than Bitcoin, which started all of this. Even like we've been doing this show, this is the fifth episode. I feel like even five weeks ago, way less people knew, or at least less took serious. Yeah. Less people took EOS serious than they do now. Everyone in the world, in the blockchain world, not the world, uh, knows what EOS is at this point. We took over number five on yeah, CoinMarketCap. Yeah, number Cap. five past Litecoin. So next next one's Bitcoin Cash. Yeah, I got a double in price from here, I think, to, to pass Bitcoin so Cash. As far as OK Blockchain Capital, I'll read a quote from their announcement, and it, it kind of is similar to what Wax said last, on what we talked about on last week's episode, where they said they researched all the different blockchains and they chose EOS because it was the best one that they wanted to build on. Right. So I'll read this quote, uh, and this is from OK Blockchain Capital. After studying EOS technology, evaluating its capabilities, and the EOS community in the past year, we have decided to form our first blockchain ecosystem partnership with EOS.io. OK Blockchain Capital will fully support EOS IO's growth and expansion and strategies. Wow. So yeah, so they evaluated all of them, and of every single blockchain, every single project they could have worked with, they chose EOS IO. Yeah. I mean, that's what's crazy about all that. It's stuff that you know I had hoped would happen for sure with the research I had done in EOS starting at, you know from last year. Um, but to see it actually happen now, to see these major players in the crypto space not only come out and stake their reputation on it, but also stake their money on it, it's it's just amazing to yeah, see. Yeah, and it, it blows my mind how there's people on on Reddit and the Telegram channels who are up in arms about this. They they think this is bad that there's all these big players coming in. Meanwhile, if you look at the mining pools for Ethereum and Bitcoin, it's 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 like four oh, yeah. or three or four of them, five of them that are mining all the blocks. Well and one of the things I think people need to understand is that it's it's not like a couple big players can come in and just control the network. The nature of EOS, the nature of the constitution, the nature of the arbitrage system, it, it's built to basically prevent these big players from coming in and controlling it in the same way they control Bitcoin and Ethereum. So the entire software and governance system it is built to prevent this. So them coming in is great. It legitimizes the platform. It brings new capital, new developers, all this stuff, new awareness. Um, but but don't worry, they can't just come in and, and buy the platform and, and kind of control it by running multiple block producers. There, there are rules in place through the constitution, through the arbitrage system to prevent that from happening. So really, this is just great news. And whether you know Antpool gets voted in or not, um, they've, they've brought a lot of awareness to EOS, and we should be very thankful for that. The, the fact of the matter is, too, that with the governance system, every one token means one vote for block producers and, and for other governance issues. But that vote only lasts, what is it now, three days it was shortened to? Three days. So if, if let's say, the number one block producer by votes, let's just pretend it becomes Bitfinex. All right? right. And they get hacked or their CEO commits some sort of fraud or something, which he didn't, as far as I know. <laughs> um, I don't even know who their CEO is. Um, but let's say like there's some major controversy with Bitfinex, and they also happen to be an ESBP. 
just that hit on their reputation is going to make people not vote for them. So oh, they yeah. could actually get kicked out of, if, if it was bad enough, they wouldn't even probably get enough votes for the 121. Yeah, I mean, they can even get kicked out instantly because you can, so when you go to vote, you basically lock your tokens up for three days, but you can change your vote within those three days as many times as you want. Oh. So you could go in and vote for Bifinex and 10 minutes later realize, you know, Tether is, is all a scam and they don't actually have the money and you could unvote Bifinex right there instantly and the change is made. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's that's how you you build trust in a trustless network. Yeah, is like it it, it it's always going to continue on with with people who are fo- or people or nodes that are following all of the rules. If anyone breaks the rules, they're no longer going to be part of the network because they're going to get voted out by the community. Yeah, this this is oh man. Just talking about this every time we record these, every time we talk <laughs> about it, I get more and more excited. Yeah, it's it's really coming close here. I mean, less than forty days, we're we're coming down to the wire, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with you know more block producers announcing themselves in the coming weeks, more decentralized apps, more VC funds. It, let's see what happens. It's been a a crazy past five weeks, and we look forward to the next five. Anyway, I think that's it for this week's episode. Uh, Be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or SoundCloud to uh, catch the next episode. Thank you, everyone, again for tuning in to another episode of Everything EOS. Once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Everything EOS.